This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my illustrious co-host, Bree Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? That's so such a big, fun word, illustrious. Illustrious, fancy words. Remember fancy. fancy Nancy? Yes. Fancy Nancy. I loved Fancy Nancy. I did too. I loved That's it. The best. Best vocabulary builder for first graders. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I just remember like reading that book a lot when I would do community parenting classes and mm -hmm. just having to stop and like re-say things over and over again. Yeah. Because the kids still didn't get it. Fancy but Nancy. it was still fun. Fancy I loved it. Brie. Ooh, you're going to be fancy next podcast. I am. I'm feeling fancy. fancy. <laughs> I, I joined the bandwagon and got my first Stitch Fix box and I'm yeah. feeling fancy. It's great, right? Like they give you like all your clothes and oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I answered like so many quizzes. Like I kept uh -huh. going on and redoing the, the quiz over and over again and yeah. like tagging pictures because I'm like, this chick is going to know my style if it kills her. Yeah. And she still sent me stuff that I wouldn't have bought, but I'm wearing them because they actually looked pretty cool on me. They I'm do. like, I would have never bought that, but it actually feels and looks pretty Cool. And this well, isn't excited. this isn't an ad for Stitch Fix, by the way. No, we just no. Making our general appreciation of it because I've been using it for a long time, <laughs> and like four years, I haven't gone clothes shopping. Which, uh, yeah, that's that's a great way to do it. Like mm -hmm. my thing was just that you know what, I haven't bought something non thrift store mm -hmm. other than the occasional pair of jeans. Yeah, and I'll very long time or or non-target in the t-shirt section so I was like you're, maybe I need to up my game a little you're upping it <laughs> it's like how we talked about in the upper limit podcast where like you're making those little increments I like, am I am because I went in for like the yeah yeah I went in for like the price range that I was comfortable with which mm -hmm. if you if you just heard me say I'm a thrift store shopper it's not a big range. <laughs> but it's like upping it and like it looks gorgeous it is it gorgeous. is I'm very excited whoop 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 yeah <laughs> So today's guest, we have Lynn Berger, 
who is joining us from the Netherlands. Yes. Oh, my goodness. She was so refreshing to chat with. And I loved her book. I absolutely loved her book. So she's the a writer, a journalist, and she's the author of the book, Second Thoughts on Having and Being a Second Child. And it comes at it from the viewpoint of like, a lot of parents say they worry about spending equal time with all their kids and they worry that their second kids get the raw end of the deal. Yep. And she takes all of the research and shows us that, hey, like... You don't need to worry. <laughs> this is they're, what's going on. They're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. <laughs> what do you know, huh? Yeah, but it's it was fascinating. And our conversation with her, like I could have talked to her forever because, oh my gosh, she brings up so many great things in her book. But I will leave that for the interview uh, and tell you a little bit more about Lynn. As a care correspondent for online journalism platform, De Correspondent, I don't know how to say that. That's it's, it's in the Netherlands. She writes about the various forms care can take, what it does for us, and what we need in order to take good care she has two kids a daughter seven and a son who's four and a half and we hope you enjoy our conversation with lynn if you feel so overwhelmed right now in your home and you have tried you've tried getting your family to help you out and tried to give your kids chores and it just hasn't worked out you are going to love our happy parent checklist you can download it at noguiltmom.com backslash HPC. If you love listening to No Guilt Mom, by the way, and how we get really real about parenting, then you need to check out the PG-ish podcast with our friend Aaron Holland. And Aaron's been on the show. Yes, Aaron is on a mission to transform your parenting experience from overwhelm and frustration to growth and success through bite-sized pieces of wisdom and truth bombs, which I love because I can only digest bite-sized pieces. Yes. And twice a week, she curates clips from today's psychologists, authors, parents, and teachers to provide you with guidance to grow as an individual and as a parent as you raise happy, healthy, successful kids and survive it all with a little more well-being. Check out her and the PG-ish podcast everywhere you listen to No Guilt Mom. And now, on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Excited to have you on the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about sibling rivalry because your book on having and being a second child, second thoughts, it's so, I, I really identify with it because we're both older children and a lot of the things you said as an older child about your sibling, I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we had such a good conversation. We had to pause. I'm like, yeah. we had to stop. This is podcast material. <laughs> Yeah, from what I understand, you also, you know, experienced your younger sibling as a, sometimes a, an intruder or a, yeah. Total intruder, total intruder. As an adult, like we have a great adult relationship now, but when we are kids, oh my gosh. And in your book, and I, I think I'm jumping ahead right now because I immediately want to jump into like these things that I had with my sister, but let's first, can you tell people a little bit about you and your story? Sure. So I'm a, a journalist. I cover care. And so I write. That's 
that's my job, but I also love to read. I think I'm, I'm a reader first and a writer second. And so whatever something is happening in my life, I'll just be, I'm just like, okay, I'll go to the literature and, you know, find something to help me think through this, which was great when I was pregnant for the first time, because there are so many books about the, you know, sort of the transition to parenthood and, you know, taking care of a, of a baby and so on. So I read my, you know, I read all my way, my way through pregnancy and, and early motherhood. And then I was pregnant for the second time. And I thought, well, this is surely different than the first time I need different books. And I couldn't really find that many. So I found a couple of really practical hands-on guidebooks, but not the sort of, you know, a bit more maybe philosophical or reflective literature that could just help you make sense of what was happening. I could find tons and tons of scientific studies into the psychology of siblings, the sort of demographic changes over time, sociology of families and so on. But, you know, that's not really light reading when you're seven months pregnant. So, <laughs> so I know. No, exactly. <laughs> Let me read this 20 page research paper. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with the abstracts and, you know, comb through, yeah. the, through the end notes. And so by the time my son was around one year old, I just decided to write that book myself. And that, you know, that book became Second Thoughts. Okay. You got me from the immediate first chapter because you go right into this sibling jealousy thing mm -hmm. and about how, like we hear a lot here at No Guilt Mom about the sibling rivalry and how the kids are always fighting and how, you know, you should always be aware of like bringing another baby into the family and prepare your kid for that other baby coming. And what I was shocked to find out in your book is that that's a relatively recent worry and fear for parents. Can you like tell us a little bit about how that whole jealousy and worry thing about jealousy happened? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that also surprised me was that on the one hand, you know, a lot of people say, well, we want a second child so that our first child has a sibling, right? Because we believe it's a good thing to grow up with a sibling or to have a sibling. I mean, and at the same time, you know, we have all these stories about sibling rivalry and all these warnings to parents about how to nip it in the bud. So I was like, this is, this seems like a paradox. I'm going to just look into the history of jealousy and how we thought about this in the past. And so as it turns out, for the longest time, jealousy was seen as not a bad thing. It's not a bad emotion. In fact, in the Middle Ages, jealousy was seen as a positive thing because it sort of spurred you on to defend your honor. And I read up on Charles Darwin, who had six children, I believe. Anyway, he wrote when this is in the early 19th century and his son, William, was acting out like in a jealous manner. And Darwin said, oh, it's a sign of affection. You know, so there was just this notion that jealousy is, is in, in many ways a good or positive thing. And that changes by the end of the 19th century. And it, in part, it had to do with the fact that sort of, you know, people started to think that a civilized human being is someone who controls their emotions and jealousy just doesn't really, you know, it's it's not easy to control. <laughs> and And people also started to believe that, you know, Children have to learn how to control their emotions from an early age onwards. And so jealous children, sibling rivalry started to be seen as a problem. If you look at the parenting manuals or articles or letters about parenthood before the late 19th century, no one talks about sibling rivalry. A few decades into the 20th century, it's like the biggest problem. And parents are told that they have to prevent sibling rivalry. If it does occur, they have to just make sure that it, you know, is extinguished as soon as possible because their children will grow up to be unstable adults. They will never become the civilized, controlled human beings that we want them to be. And it's up to the parents to do that. There was also part of a larger shift where, you know, before parents were responsible for keeping their children alive and making sure that they were physically healthy. But in the 20th century, it became 
the parent's job to make sure that their children are happy, that they have you know good inner lives as well. And this whole fear over jealousy and sibling rivalry was part of that change in, in the conception of parenthood. You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But If you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my my puppy dog's (laughs) name. uh, Who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I listened to this with my son, and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool aunt that they really dug, and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, My son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like He thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You know, I think that's really interesting because, you know, looking back at history, if I'm just going to do this from like an armchair perspective, Mm -hmm. someone that has not researched it whatsoever, and it's just speaking from her own opinion, it feels like, yes, back before the 19th century, maybe parents could have been a little bit more concerned about like their children's well-being, paid a little bit more attention. I, I, Because again, it was was different times. 
But I do feel like we took that pendulum shift, especially here in the United States, way too far to the other side, putting so much stress on ourselves as parents, especially as moms, that it's our job to make sure that everything is perfect. Yeah. Our children are perfectly happy, 100% well, absolutely no trauma or suffering in their life because heaven forbid that they they go through any of that and that the rivalry is an issue. And I'm a firm believer in like siblings fight. Now, you know, when they you know want to kill each other, yeah, <laughs> that's where I draw the line. But before that, like, hey, you guys can fight and be jealous. It's okay. Mm-hmm. No, and it's something, I mean, it's not like, you know, we can, maybe we've come to believe that jealousy is not a good thing, but it doesn't really make the emotion go away, right? We'll still experience right. it. So you might as well get a practice run at it when you're young. <laughs> Exactly. I like that. I you like the practice, practice run. And you're right. None of us don't experience jealousy anymore. It happens. It happens. Definitely. And I think like dealing with a sibling, I deal with jealousy now better as an adult, having seen my cute little sister get all the attention and take it away from me. Oh. Like I remember <laughs> that. I remember having Tell us more. <laughs> well, no, like I was, I was like, we're seven years apart. And so when she was in her cute phase, I was entering the awkward tween phase and oh. just felt like... Blah. And so like come Halloween, I was like, I always remember this. I was dressed up as a witch and I was like, like blood down my face, everything. And Jamie was Cinderella. Oh. <laughs> and, and everyone was like, you're so cute. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I think it, it's, it's the jealousy and you learn to deal with it and move on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, so I was the, I was the youngest and I was telling you guys earlier that, and my dynamic and my family, cause I have two older sisters and th- we are pretty far apart. Like my oldest sister is, oh gosh, don't get mad at me, Shanna, five years older than me, no, six <laughs> years older than me. And then my second sister is four years older than me. And then there's me, but I, I learned early on that I was a good demander there. I was the one that was the tiebreaker in a lot of fights. So it would, after, at first I would just kind of enjoyed all the attention, but then after a little while, I'm like, all right, if you want me to like decide who's playing the board game, I need to know who's playing dolls with me later. Yeah. Like you were sneaky. You were, you, you gotta, you gotta earn this vote here. Yeah. You made lemonade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So in your book, you talk about kind of this guilt that parents feel about, you know, having a second child. And that's something that I see a lot in our no guilt mom kind of community where moms in particular, they want to make sure they're spending equal time with every child. And I love your take on it about like how happiness compares with the first child compared to the second child. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out that, um, you know, social scientists just can't get enough of studying the difference between parents and non-parents and trying to figure out who's happier. And they keep on finding that parents aren't necessarily happier than non-parents. And they're always like, oh, why do people have children if it doesn't make them happy? But then they look, you know, they go more into the nitty gritty of it. And then they see that with each subsequent child after the first one, parents become a little bit less happy. So (laughs) when you have a first child, you see a sort of a a peak in happiness. And then, you know, after a while, you're sort of back to your old self. But then when you have a second child, there might still be a peak, but it's a lot smaller. And then when there's the third child, like there's no peak at all. It's just like, it doesn't make them (laughs) happier. (laughs) (laughs) Another one, go over there and hang out with your siblings, little one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course, I mean, 
I don't think people have children because they think it will make them happy, right? We have them because, you know, we're curious. We want to care for, for someone. We, we want to have this meaningful experience. So in a way you could, you know, I don't think the happiness question is the most interesting question, although I see why it, it keeps on fascinating us. But anyway, there are sort of the explanation for the fact that a second child doesn't cause this a similar happiness spike as the first one is because, well, first of all, because parents tend to have more worries when they have more children, like just more financial worries, even less sleep, you know, even less time for yourself. But there's also this one researcher who said, well, you know, just repetition just isn't as interesting as a novel experience. Like parents have been through it before. They're just not as amazed, not as euphoric. It's not as special. And I, that resonated with me. I felt really guilty towards our second child because he wouldn't be the one giving us this transformative experience. Like he wouldn't be the one that left us bowled over by what had just happened to us. And it just felt like it was so sad for him <laughs> that he couldn't be that person. <laughs> that is amazingly introspective. Yeah. But you, you also have a great thing that I think takes the guilt away from most parents in that you describe watching your son play and dance. And when you watch him play and dance, you're then reminded of when your older child, your daughter did this as well. Yeah, no, it's not just, you know, it's not just a, a repetition of everything that came before, right? I mean, he's a new person and he does things in his own way. But he also, in doing whatever it is he does, he sort of brings back memories of the first that I'm not sure I would have ever retrieved if he hadn't been there. And so it's also about, yeah, it's, 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 so it's a different experience in that it brings up these memories, but also that it comes with anticipation. Like you're, there are certain things that the second child does that you're sort of expecting them to do. Whereas with the first one, you're sort of you know, everything is new and you didn't expect anything to happen. And it's kind of, it's quite gratifying to expect something to happen and then it happens or it doesn't, you know, you might do something completely different and then it's a surprise. So I have two kids and they're four years apart, four and a half years apart. And I have to say, like, I've never felt guilty for my son because I feel like they're so, they're so different people. Seeing them interact with the world and how they approach situations, it's so, so different. But then I also get these little glimmers of reminders and I'm like, oh my gosh, what he did just then totally reminds me of his sister. And so it's like this little happiness yeah. having a second child. I don't know. I was super sad when I was having my second, only because my kids were super close together mm -hmm. and... My son was only six months old when we found out that Bree did not have a flu that was going on for a month. That was morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Yeah. That whole novel experience, learning from past experiences, <laughs> it, it, it just, it, whatever. I don't know. But I mean, I just remember feeling really, really sad and like kind of, but, but you know what though, too? I, let me back up this a little bit. I had a rough first pregnancy. So I was terrified of having a similar experience with the second pregnancy. So I think I was still kind of mourning and all that. And then I went through some postpartum depression. So I don't know if I was totally out of the weeds by the time we were having our second. But I just remember like you're talking about just feeling really guilty that I was taking away that attention from my first kid and that he wasn't mm -hmm. going to get my full attention, even on his first birthday, because I was wobbling around like uber pregnant in the Phoenix heat yeah. and all that kind <laughs> of stuff and just having a hard time with that. But you know, once they were both there, you're right. Like they're so different. They're mm -hmm. so unique. And, but I, I still do, even at, even at a uh, 12 and 14, I still struggle with trying to make sure I'm giving that what I feel is equal attention to both. Mm -hmm. My, my daughter is just very much pay attention to me. I need that social interaction. And mm -hmm. my son is much quieter, totally happy and chill doing his own thing. 
Hey all, it is Joanne. And Brie here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. No, yeah. So what, what's interesting about the guilt is that you could so easily frame it the other way, right? So you, you know, I feel guilty for my second child because he's not the first or towards my second child because he's not the first child. When on the other hand, you know, maybe it's nice to be born into a family that already exists and like to parents who aren't like shocked at the, at the novel experience. And, you know, you could feel guilty that you're not no longer able to give your first child all the attention, but maybe it's nice to escape your parents' attention from time to time. So it's, it seems like we will always find something to feel guilty about. Um, and it could yes. just as easily have been the opposite, but the guilt just seems inescapable. Yeah. yeah. It's always guilty about something. So one perspective that we wanted to get from you is that you live in the Netherlands and you came over to the U.S. to study at Columbia. And what differences did you see in the ways that you approach parenting in the Netherlands versus how like we approach parenting in the U.S.? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it, it is definitely different. I would say that in the US, the sort of intensive helicopter parenting is much more pervasive than in the Netherlands. Dutch parents tend to be a bit more laid back towards their kids. You know, I don't, I don't think we have a guilt-free parenting podcast in the Netherlands because it's just parents feel slightly less anxious and guilty uh, to begin with, which I think has to do with, you know, sort of larger socioeconomic circumstances. So there's not as big a gap between, you know, the very wealthy and the very poor. There's not as much anxiety over maybe falling out of the middle 
middle class. Schools tend to be quite affordable. We have public services like paid maternity leave and, you know, subsidized daycare. And all of that just makes parenthood less stressful. <laughs> that That is key right there because there is, there's a lot of difference here in like means and like what people can afford. And that really wears on people in a stress yeah. standpoint. Like, oh, so, so much. Yeah. Oh, but I would say that the difference is more in degree than in kind in the sense that I can, you know, in the last 10 years or so, I've seen that parents here are also just becoming a bit more anxious about their children, the way their children are doing in school, for instance, or, you know, stress levels among high school students are going up. So it's, there is a difference, but it's not like it's a wholly different world. And I think one other important difference is that there's a really a very strong culture of part-time work in the Netherlands. So most women work part-time. In heterosexual couples, it's usually that the man works full-time, but then the woman works part-time. And it oh. makes, on the one hand, it's a good thing because it makes it, you you know, you're more flexible. It's easier to just spend time with your kids. On the other hand, when people break with that norm, so either men who decide to work part-time or women decide to work full-time when they have children, they usually face a lot of criticism. It's a, quite a strong norm. And also it means that you know a lot of women aren't financially independent. So if you know marriage ends in divorce, which it often does, they don't have enough financial means to make it on their own. That That's interesting. I didn't know that about the Netherlands, that there was that norm there. I think we've kind of broken, we've broken that norm here in the US, although it does still happen okay. that the women are kind of more expected to stay at home than the dads are. However, now we're seeing a lot more like stay at home dads where like the moms are the breadwinners and the dads are full-time dads. Little is, steps, little, little baby steps. steps. We're moving in the right direction. Little baby steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> so what one piece of advice would you have to give to a mom who's either expecting their second child or is feeling overwhelmed with the guilt that they can't spend as much time equally with both of their kids? Yeah. So I think, you know, it would, and it's hard to do when you're in the middle of it, but if you can try and zoom out and sort of take the long, long-term perspective, it might be that this week, you know, your baby is just demanding all your attention. And so you're not giving it to the older one, but then next week you'll, you'll, you'll make up for that. And I think as parents, we tend to sort of really focus on the now and sort of forget that, you know, well, one, children are resilient, more resilient than we give them credit for. And, and two, we can sort of make up for, past mistakes or, or negligences. So yeah, it's, it, it helps to, I think, just to, to zoom out and realize that you can even out later. Play the long game is it's, what we like to say. I Seems love that. I've, I have found, and tell me how you guys feel about this. Sometimes when you're in the weeds of it with your kids, like you're going through, I don't know, the terrible twos or the potty training or you know, kids coming into their hormones being, you know, tweens, teens, it's hard to see the long game. And I find that reaching out to my friends and family that have kids slightly older. Oh my goodness. That is like mm -hmm. such a lifeline It's for somebody to sit there and be like, cause you, you know, in your head, logically that there's a long game, it's going to work out eventually. They're not going to they're not going to go off to college, not potty trained. It's going to get there, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? They, they failed a test in math. They're not necessarily going to end up homeless, living in a van down by the river. They're it, it, like, it's going to go on. But, but when you have someone that says that to you, that actually you'd be like, look, look at my kid. Yeah. He's got some quirks, but he's doing well and successful. And it, it helps you be like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll be able to get. There. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it interesting though, that, you know, when you have more than one child, then when the second child is going through that phase, you you might you may actually already have experienced 
the fact that they get out of it because of the first one. I think it does make you a bit more relaxed with the second child. Oh, yeah, totally. I think that the second kid gets the better parents. Oh, I think so, too. (laughs) I constantly I'm like, I look at my son and I'm like, I am such a better parent to you because it's like, you know, what's kind of coming, although kids are different and they'll all have their own surprises. And I think that's actually a really good argument for having space between your kids. Yeah. Because again, my kids are very close in age, so they don't get a whole lot of different parenting. But like you said, like in your case, like four years, that's a good amount of time to be able to be like, okay, been there, done this. That did not work. We're going to try this instead. Although my daughter will always say that she's the easier child, (laughs) the older one. (laughs) That's what she tells me. She's like, I'm just easier, mom. What's one of your golden nuggets that between your your daughter and your son, you're like, okay, when I had my son, since I'd already gone through with my daughter, this was definitely something that I learned. I mean, the potty training, it's such a good example. With our daughter, I was like, this is never going to work. I just couldn't believe, I just didn't understand how anyone ever got their children to be potty trained. And and with our son, I was like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's going to teach himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He'll pee through his pants enough that eventually it'll work out. He'll be peeing in his pants when he lives in a van down by the road. He's not. Well, Lynn, this has been fantastic. Thank you so, so much for coming on and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. (laughs) I loved our conversation with Lynn um, and everything about having more than one kid and that it's not a bad thing if you can't give your attention to both kids equally. Right, right. And one thing that I felt like was a huge, a huge thing that she pointed out that I find ourselves saying a lot, but you can never say too much, mm-hmm. is we really need to be looking at the long game, people. Yes. Like we need to be looking at how things are going to work out in the long run. And just because um, you've spent a little bit more time with this child on this day and that child on that day doesn't mean they're going to end up in therapy blaming you for everything that goes wrong no. and living in a van down by the river. Van down by the river. No, it does not mean that's going to happen. Your kid will not end up in a van down by the river. In fact, having a sibling, I feel like really grounds you because you realize it's not all about you. There's other people in the world whose needs need to be taken care of and are just as important as you too. Hey, if you love the No Gut One podcast, can you hit subscribe and we'll be in your podcast player every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes. And we would also really, really appreciate your review and rating and review us. We hope that we earned your five stars and helping us reach more people. Those reviews, that's what they do. Just reviewing it like, I don't know, somewhere in the podcast app land, they just push it out to more people, the more reviews they have. So know what an amazing amazing, amazing favor you would be doing for us as well. And we want to hear your comments. Yes. So until next time, remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you and we will see you later. Thanks so much for stopping by. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.